there, and welcome to the Pseudo Show, brought to you by the Destination Linux Network. Today, we'll take a look at open source hypervisors for managing your home lab or enterprise data center, plus some feedback from our VDI episode. All that and more on this episode of the Pseudo Show. Welcome to the Pseudo Show, your home for all things enterprise open source. I'm Eric, the IT guy, and joining me every episode is my management-bound co-host, Brandon Johnson. How you doing today, buddy? Doing great, Eric. I've been looking forward to this all week. I've been playing with a lot of new technology to uh, get us through this, and I'm really excited to talk, especially talk about a few pieces of technology that probably we haven't talked about yet on the show, and I'm pretty sure very few people have heard of, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, to kind of share some of my pain uh, during this episode. As Brandon well knows, I spent a lot of time and blood, sweat, and tears, mostly tears, trying to try out some of the tech we're going to talk about today. So this may be a little bit of, a, of an emotional episode for me. But with that said, let's dive on in. Today's episode is sponsored by none other than Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync sensitive data. You can go to bitwarden.com DLN to check out their amazing service. With security breaches a regular occurrence now, experts suggest using a unique password for every account. That could easily be over 200 passwords. How do you remember all those passwords? That's where a password manager comes in. And the password manager trusted by the Destination Linux network is Bitwarden. You can get started on Bitwarden for free or unlock a suite of additional tools for just $10 a year. That's right, per year. $10 will give you all the free features, one gig of encrypted file storage, vault health reports, two-factor code generation, and priority customer support. If you want to make the smart move, get a password manager and make that manager Bitwarden. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN and thank you to Bitwarden for supporting the Pseudo Show and the Destination Linux Network. So shortly after the uh, VDI episode published, Eric, uh, I got a message from a few community members and they asked me to hop in a matrix room and I hopped on Jitsi with them. We started having this great conversation. Do we really need to run desktops in virtual machines? And... They're like, can we do this in containers? <laughs> well, don't you know, Brandon, everything's a container nowadays. That is true. I mean, even you're a container. I guess so. Virtual <laughs> machines run in containers now. I mean, and we'll get into that later. I started diving into this. I did a ton of research. I mean, someone has already written something to assist with this. I'll get into that in a minute. One of the big challenges that I saw right away is how do you run, whether if that's an X11 server or a Wayland server in a container because especially when i'm thinking in my world of fedora and rel with podman since x11 traditionally needs to run as root think wayland doesn't need to but it's a pretty interesting it's still a pretty interesting proposition but i found a project on github called x11 docker it doesn't just support docker so and it also doesn't su just support x11 it supports Wayland and it supports Podman. And it allows you to run a full desktop or even just individual applications inside a container. I know we can already do that in Fedora with Toolbox, but 
I thought it was a very interesting project. I'm going to continue to work on this, but like see if there's like a way to really make it easy to deploy virtual desktops or in this case, containerized desktops in a more or less production fashion that allows us to deploy a container, containerized desktops at scale, or if it's just like a niche use case for like uh, classrooms that need more ephemeral desktops and something that's just easy to clean up, right? Mm-hmm. Versus a full-fledged BDI desktop solution. The more I think about this this world of containers, and of course, I was I was joking about it a minute ago, but that there's some reality to that. There's some gravity to this idea that just about everything runs in a container these days. And in fact, I think it might have been the KDE team actually managed to containerize Plasma. At the time, it wasn't a production use case. It, in fact, they said, please do not try and use anything that you care about inside the container. But they, they had an interesting use case for it. And I think this, this project may be an extension of that initiative is to be able to test newer versions of Plasma before actually implementing them on, on your production system. That leads me to wonder, do we really need a, quote, universal package? I feel like we're already there. We've got flat, we've got compile it yourself, RPMs, we've got DEBs, we've got flat packs, we've got snaps. But then in the server world, we have containers for everything. We have, so I, I wonder, do we, do we really need to find a universal package or do we already have it in the form of containers? I mean, if we can already containerize a desktop, we can containerize an application. Maybe there's, you know, I'm just, I'm spitballing here, but maybe there's something there that we can containerize and maybe build a modular desktop where the base container is just the desktop. Then you can layer on additional then you can use container layers to add in additional applications, something along those lines. You're kind of at, are you're describing something that already exists, and that's Fedora Silverblue. That's true. That's true. We should probably have someone on from Fedora. But And that's actually one of the solution that I'm planning to utilize or something like it, something that looks like it in this uh, containerized uh, desktop environment. I'll be exploring this on the show and... We'll see how this works together um, as I go through the hiccups and sub my toe with uh, getting uh, containers to uh, actually talk to Wayland. Granted, I'm hoping, you know, I haven't really uh, dug too much into the program. I just mentioned the X11 Docker. They'll be in the show notes, but looks like it should just uh, work and plug into my existing Wayland instance on the, on the host operating system. I think it would be interesting to see and maybe even find a way of making it work in um, Kubernetes. So hey, now you're stealing my idea. Now we'll have to see uh, where it all lands. But look, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the, all this flushes out as I explore this. You know what, Brandon, I think your initial reactions, your initial walkthrough of, of setting up an X11 Docker uh, would be a great episode for something we've got in the pipeline. And that is Pseudo Labs. We mentioned it a couple episodes ago. It's in the works. It's coming. We promise. In fact, I just saw some of the mockups of uh, lower third graphics. We've got some of the some of the banner images done and ready to upload. So, you know, Brandon and I are working on some content. We're getting that recorded, getting that stuff in editing. And it, I don't think it'll be too much longer before we'll start releasing Pseudo Labs uh, on the off weeks of this show. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, and I'll probably do. Uh... Maybe a live coding session at some point, or or just uh, so, and you guys can watch me mistype everything. 
Yeah, that's an unwritten law of computers. The more people watching you type, the more complicated it becomes. I guess so. So with, with that shameless self-plug aside, let's get into the main content for today. Today's episode is sponsored by our friends over at DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new Managed MongoDB service, which is a fully managed database as a service. With Managed MongoDB, you can focus more on building scalable, high-performance apps and less on maintaining the database. DigitalOcean built this service in partnership with MongoDB Inc., and together they have ensured that you'll get access to all the latest releases of the Mongo database as they become available. As a listener of the Pseudo Show podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you go to do.co slash dln mongo. Don't worry, that URL will be in the show notes. Need more than just a database? You can use your $100 credit to try out all the amazing services DigitalOcean has to offer. Again, go to do.co slash dln mongo, M-O-N-G-O, to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new Managed MongoDB. And thank you to DigitalOcean for being a sponsor of the Pseudo Show and the entire Destination Linux network. I kind of got nostalgic when we were prepping for this episode. I was thinking about how prolific virtual machines have become over the course of my career. I've, I've been in IT for just shy of 15 years now, and almost probably 10 or 11 of that I, was, I spent as a systems administrator, predominantly on Linux, but... I had this thought, we were writing the outline for this episode, and I had this memory pop back into my head from years ago. VMware was just kind of coming out. It was just making a splash. And one of the great things that VMware had to offer was clusters. You could set up multiple hypervisors. You could tie them in together. So everything just kind of worked as a compact unit. It kind of obfuscated the hardware away. So all you saw was this big environment, just this big pool of resources. And one of the coolest things some of my early memories of technology in my IT career itself was the first time I watched vMotion in action. So for those of you that don't know, vMotion was it really made a splash back in the day because you could take a running virtual machine on this hypervisor host and you could move it to this hypervisor host. And the cool thing was you could do that live while the VM was running. And my, that first memory was watching a VM be moved from one host to another and we had a ping running the entire time, it didn't even drop a packet. I mean, there's barely any noticeable change in latency. It was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. Granted, keep in mind, this was like 15 years ago. <laughs> but I mean, to this day, I, I kind of take hypervisors for granted, but as a systems administrator, so much of my workflow was built around virtual machines. So many arguments I had in meeting rooms was whether or not you could actually virtualize a thing looking at you database administrators who for years told me you couldn't virtualize a database. But it was such a cool experience to see my first vMotion in action. And now it's such a pivotal tool and it's something you should definitely have in your systems administrator toolbox. Yeah, I never got to play with uh, VMware until 2012. But I was playing with uh, other tools. I, I, got, I got the opportunity to work on a lot of Zen clusters uh, at XEN, and we'll talk about that later on the show. But it's more specifically uh, the Zen hypervisor running on top of uh, SUSE uh, Linux uh, back at when I was at Novell and doing live migration, which is uh, the same thing as vMotion. I remember thinking, like, this is magic. <laughs> so, yeah. It, I mean, it, it really did feel like that. Yeah. 
And you know, there's plenty of other competition out there for hypervisors. Obviously, you brought up VMware. There's also Hyper-V from Microsoft and if also some uh, other hypervisors out there are used for embedded use cases. I won't list them out, but there's, you know, there's a whole bunch of competition out there. But you know, we're here to talk about open source virtualization. And first off, you know, it's the most prolific, I think, at least I think it is, is KVM. KVM is, you know, it's everywhere. Amazon, Amazon Cloud runs on a KVM. The I believe IBM Cloud is running on KVM as well. Uh, Pretty sure DigitalOcean is as well. DigitalOcean. We'll have tip to our, our sponsors. And so it pretty much every public cloud is running on KVM. Whenever you, you're using it, there's a libraries in front of it called LibVirt. That LibVirt provides a set of APIs and libraries to allow you to interact with it. What I love about it is I've been being a Linux user forever is I don't have to do anything. I install a package and it's up and running. And so it's for, as a Linux user, it's just so easy to get going. Oh, Eric, what are your thoughts on KVM and LibVirt? I've been a Windows user. I've been a Mac user. And then, you know, for the past so many years, I've, I've been almost exclusively a Linux user. And of the three platforms, it is so easy to get started with LibVirt on the desktop or even on the server. And it, it, the experience took a huge leap forward just a few years ago when Cockpit became uh, so prolific. So, I mean, nowadays on my desktop that, that we're recording from, I, I literally have four or five virtual machines that I manage via the Cockpit web UI. And like, like you said, I, just, I basically installed a, a package group. I think it's at virtualization. And not only do you get all the libraries and the tools that run the virtual machines, but you get all the supporting tools, you get some of the guest FS tools, so you can actually interact with a virtual disk right from your host system. I mean, it is so easy. And for someone who just spins up a virtual machine, tries out a tries something out or does a screen recording, I just no other platform out there has that kind of support. I mean, sure, there's there's VirtualBox, there's some of these other desktop based tools, but they require tweaks and allowing permissions and downloading and installing EXEs. I mean, it it's straightforward, but it, nothing is as smooth or as easy to run as as LibVirt. That even extends to the server side because, as as we'll talk a little bit later, uh, I kind of blew up my home lab uh, <laughs> in, prepar- <laughs> in preparing for this episode. And so right now, my my big server here at home is running Fedora Server Thirty Four. And I've got uh, I've got most of my environment back up and running inside of LibVirt right now, but uh, there's not a smoother experience to get started with virtual machines than than LibVirt. Yeah, I've done like in terms of like not like we were talking about like desktop virtualization, meaning desktops in the data center, but like the equivalent of uh, like VMware Workstation or VirtualBox, like VirtualBox and VMware Workstation or VMware Fusion on the Mac. I feel like they take longer to get going. Mm-hmm. What I love about LibVirt is I have a bit more control. I love the the command line tool set with Versh. I've been working with Versh probably since 2005. Uh, I think it's been around that long. You brought up LibGuestFS, uh, all the LibGuestFS tool, tools. I could spend an hour just talking about those. I'm not, but... <laughs> Uh, there, it's probably one of my favorite open source communities, just because I've 
built some crazy scripts around managing disks, about expanding disks, whether that's like a Windows virtual machine or a Linux virtual machine. The only downside in with Libvirt from you know, Libvirt plus KVM, it I mean, like management is pretty easy with Cockpit and Vert Manager, uh, GTK based um, management tool. It's setting up high availability, so getting live migration configured, making sure that's all all happy. It's getting easier, right? I think that's been a huge because when people see Libvirt, they go, "Oh, this is a pretty toy," but they because as soon as they see like the complexity behind it, they don't want to they don't want to touch it, especially in the corporate world. It's not as bad as it used to be, and and, and we'll talk about some stuff that makes it super easy to just get this stuff done. It's a question of scale. It depends on what you need. Is this on your desktop? Is this your home server lab? Is this a small business that maybe has one or two hosts total? It kind of ties into that question of do you just need a hypervisor or do you need more of an orchestrator? How much management overhead do you need to to run your your environment? And I would argue that Livert would cover a lot of ground from from the small to medium use cases. But if you're talking about a massive environment with with a dozen or more hypervisors involved, with, with a dozen or more uh, individual pieces of hardware involved, then you're going to get into kind of our next section where it's more VM orchestration versus just uh, operation. Yeah, Eric, I, gotta, I, I haven't really talked to you too much about this meltdown, but <laughs> when you were trying to get Proxmox going, I got to hear about this because uh, I installed Proxmox with little effort and I'm sure it's just something funky because maybe they just are not including a kernel module in the Debian base. So a few years ago, I, I bought a, a Dell server, a Dell PowerEdge off of a company called ServerMonkey. And I ran that for a while and I installed Proxmox. Had no issues. It was, it was a great experience. It worked out fine. Yeah, I know the the Red Hat guy running Proxmox, but you know it worked. Get off me. <laughs> when we did our our home lab episode at the beginning of the year, I was running RHEL eight point three uh, and was using KVM to manage. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm use, I was using Livvert to manage my virtual machines in my home network. And part of my dream is to expand to a couple of nodes, add in some some heavier servers like an Ansible Tower or Satellite. Uh, so that I can run an enterprise light environment here at home for for things I do at work for for my own tinkering uh, for some of the video series that we're we're talking about doing and so I I had this plan to well I need to wait on the hardware we've I'm I'm doing a network upgrade first actually truth be told I'm doing a studio install first but you know so studio install network upgrade and then and then probably expanding out the server lab a little bit so. I had this brilliant idea where we, we talked about VDI. We got a lot of good positive uh, feedback on that, but we got a couple of questions around hypervisors. So we decided to do this episode. So it's like, this is perfect. We're going to talk about hypervisors. Why not just back up all of my QCOW2 files onto an external hard drive, rebuild my server? No problem, right? Should be easy. So one of the top ones on our list, when, when we kind of asked around what are folks using, Proxmox was probably the, the number one answer we got. Uh, maybe number two next, next to Libvirt, but Proxmox was very close to the top. So, okay, I'll start there. So I, I backed up all of my 
cruntav files, all of my user data, all my QCOW2 files onto this little tiny external hard drive. And so then I went to install Proxmox. Should be easy, right? I've, I've had experience with this. We'll install it. We'll play with it and just see what, see what has come out over the last few years. You know, start easy, work into some of the harder stuff, right? It got hung up. The installer got hung up because I was trying to use a Logitech K400 or something like that. It's, it is a keyboard with a wireless dongle. But what I love about this thing is it's the keyboard, but it also has a little trackpad built in. It's this small form factor. I use it all the time when I'm working on my server directly, uh, particularly fixing mistakes and configuration files on the uh, network stack, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, so the installer would just not run. And I tried rebooting. I tried re re-imaging the... Uh, the ISO on, on the flash drive I was using could not get Proxmox to complete the install to save my life, all because it was mad that I was using a wireless dongle. So this is going to be kind of a recurring theme through the episode, but we'll, we'll talk about what happened next here in a minute. But my install issues aside, uh, Proxmox is a really great tool. It is almost that prosumer grade uh, hypervisor. Because it, it's got a little bit more power, it's got more features, it's got the ability to cluster, which is something th- which is a pro. It has over libvirt, so it's it's kind of got both. You can use it as as a standalone server, or you can tie it into other other Proxmox servers and basically have a cluster with backups and, and that kind of thing. So I mean, Proxmox is a great tool. My own my own stupidity or my own issues aside, I think what I like about Proxmox is it in terms of like the overall management is it is it does two things it not only doesn't manage virtual machines it also manages lxc containers yes and i do like that i think that's pretty neat a little bit ahead of its time i mean like lxc is not that prolific in in enterprise use cases but from a home lab perspective i see just from the ease of it i haven't touched proxmox in almost a decade and seeing the difference from when I last used it to now was very interesting. It definitely made a lot of inroads on it. Yeah. Anyone who knows me, I'm not a big fan of Debian, but it's a, uh, it's abstracted. So I really, you know, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> I, what I really like is the backups. The backups functions are great and probably ahead of other solutions that we'll talk about later on. And another fun tidbit that I used back when I ran Proxmox for my home lab that I really liked was you could run HA proxy as a service on the hypervisor. So you could just point your point your router at Proxmox and then have HA proxy and sitting in front of your virtual machine. So it does it does the load balancing for you before you ever get to any of your virtual workloads. Yeah, that's true as well. That that's a pretty cool fu- function of, of that as well. I guess kind of the the final thought I had about Proxmox was that they do have a pro tier. So there's there's additional features you can get, but probably one of the biggest keys to their paid tier is the support. Because when you're using a tool, let's say other than Hyper-V or VMware, it's hard to get support, especially if you're using like the free version of ESXi, you're kind of stuck with whatever whatever support you can find either in chat rooms or on forums. But with Proxmox, they do have a paid tier. They do have professional support that you can help with those issues. So Proxmox is probably the most prolific. It's probably not my first personal first choice, but that's mostly just because I'm, I'm trying to stay close to home. Uh, 
I, I'm heavily in in love with Fedora right now, and I'm working full time at Red Hat. So I personally have nothing against Debian. Brandon's a little jaded, but that's okay. We don't hold that against him. But you know, Proxmox is still definitely a a, a go to f- uh, when when talking about virtualization management. So the next one on our list. You know, Eric, you know, one thing I'm re- realizing here, we're actually not really talking about virtualiz- about hypervisors. We're talking about management. So Proxmox is a manager of, for, of virtual machines. And the next one is definitely more management is Overt. Overt is, you've probably heard me talk about this a lot. I use it personally in my home lab. I've worked with uh, the product Red Hat Virtualization, which is based on Overt. Overt is the upstream for Red Hat Virtualization. I've been using it since 2012 when uh, the when Red Hat Virtualization Manager was one running on Windows 2012 with SQL backend, and seeing that change over over to Linux, over to Postgres, to it to, to the really the, essentially the base it is today. From my point of view, this is probably the by far the most mature of of the uh, management options. It interfaces with Libvirt and using a technology called uh, VDSM, stands for uh, Virtual Desktop Server Management, and the manager's a web interface. Very easy to use, very familiar. In fact, the latest version, it if you didn't know any better, you thought you'd you'd think you were just in cockpit, and which I think is cockpit is probably the best management tool out there for for managing Linux. Anyway, it's a I think over in terms of like being able to configure KVM clusters is uh, very quick. Uh, that has the most enterprise features. Like customers that are out on VMware. Uh, expect like they're expecting you to be able to do storage live migration mm-hmm. storage remotion using vmware speak uh, being able so being able to move a, a virtual machine from two from a different storage backend to another live that's big deal also network features that customers expect as well as wide range support for different operating systems as well as being able to interact with OpenStack networking and OpenStack storage if you need it. So it's very well integrated into that ecosystem as well, as well as uh, be able to run uh, containerized, uh, as well as also being able to run OpenShift, running as virtual machines on top, very heavily integrated there. I've, in my home lab, I've been using it hyper-converged. So... I've talked about hyperconvergence before on the show, just as a you know, just as a recap of what hyperconvergence is, is basically means you're running your compute workloads and your storage on the same system. So I'm not using a SAN external storage to run my virtual machines. They're all running on Gluster, that's the supported storage for hyperconverged in overt. I think it's a rock solid. Um, it's it hasn't done me wrong. It's been running now since 2016. I've uh, had great success with it so far, but it is getting a little long in the tooth. Uh, my specifically my hardware. 
So I'm actually thinking about either, I, I'm probably not going to use Overt going forward after I replace all my hardware. I'm probably going to use something else, but just from a, not because I, I don't want to use it anymore, purely because I want to move to a more container-based uh, infrastructure. So I feel like we need some like some flashback music or something right here because <laughs> I badly, badly, badly wanted to run over. It sounds like the perfect system for, or it sounds like the perfect manager for the system, the, for the lab environment that I'm wanting to build. And with it being so closely tied to Red Hat products and being able to run things like OKD and some of the, uh, some of the VDI tools that we talked about in, in a previous episode run very, very well under Overt. So this is the one I was most excited about. But this is the one that probably blew up in my face the the most. And I don't think this was a problem of Overt. I think it was because I spec'd out my server with one architecture in mind and not not this one. So Overt works really, really well when you try and install it from an independent system onto the hardware. There is a single node installer that basically sets up the, the manager and then spins up a VM inside that that's more or less your controller. The thing is, if, if you're going to do a single node, you either have to have external storage, uh, like NFS or iSCSI or something along those lines. Uh, but I tried to do, because my, my server is, is basically hyper-converged, I tried to set up cluster. My, my disk layout just didn't really fit that, that situation. You really want to have a couple of smaller operating system disks. You want a couple of very, very fast uh, SSDs or NVMe drives for, for cache. And then, then kind of at the bottom of that layer, you at the bottom of your storage architecture, have slower spinning disks, unless you're, you're crazy enough to have enough uh, SSD storage for, for all, of your, all of your files. We've got a growing amount of pictures and audio files and graphics and that kind of thing. So I don't need to I don't need to put archived recordings of of like outtakes of the show and that kind of thing on fast SSD storage. Um, so I still have a, a three disk uh, RAID five array sitting on my on my on my hyperconverged server. So this wasn't so much a this wasn't a product failure by any sense. Uh, I'm sure it was just. Over the past few weeks, I, I, Brandon and I have come to suspect that any technology I touch uh, seems to be cursed just with the sheer number of failures that I've had over the couple, last couple of weeks. In fact, I was late to recording this episode because I was trying to run Proxmox as a nested VM on my workstation and that blew up and I had to restart my system before we could record. So, <laughs> so no fault of Overt, but hopefully learn from my pain. If you're going to run over as a single node or or even in a cluster, make sure that you buy the the right types of storage. If I when uh, when I go to rebuild my lab a little bit after after the studio and the network upgrades, I may revisit Overt, but I would I would make sure to have a couple of smaller SSD disks for the operating system, move my NVMe drives over to caching, and then have some SSDs and some some spinning disks for for slower storage but it's definitely one of the cons is there is a ton of upfront thinking and architecting you have to do before you get started it's it's not as easy as say a proxmox and definitely not as easy as as livert to just go in install and get going it, it takes some planning it takes some some foresight it requires touching gluster i have mixed feelings about that but <laughs> uh. Gluster in specific use cases works great. And like, and this is one of those use cases. Granted, like my lab is all SSD. I, I don't have any spinning disks in my lab except for my my NAS for archive stuff. So Gluster is pretty performant for me. I mean, 
and I'm also have 10 gig networking. So it's like, it should perform okay. It, I, I think it could be better. Gluster, it is not my favorite. I ran a storage s- system on top of a bunch of Rock Pro 64s for a while that was running Gluster. Do not recommend one star. <laughs> it's slow because it's one gig networking. I was using SSDs because I was there were SATA SSDs, but they were that worked fairly well. But I uh, run into synchronization issues. Anyway, we're not here to talk about my woes with Gluster. <laughs> <laughs> no, so yeah, I, I think once because I'm, I'm not going to touch the server again until after the network upgrade's complete, and that'll give me a 10 gig backbone. And I think that is when I can revisit Overt, but. To be honest, I, as much as I want to run over here at home, I'm there's a completely different direction that I'm I'm thinking about going, and it's so crazy. It just might work, and that brings us to talking about Kuvert. Yeah, so this is actually what I'm planning on going using going forward for virtualization after I place my hardware. So I'm probably I don't know if I'm going to use OpenShift or if I'm going to use OKD. The upstream to OpenShift because I'm planning on going full containerization uh, for any services I run at home. But I do know I'm going to run into things that it's just going to be difficult to run in containers, or I just don't want to. Maybe it's just like makes sense for me to just run it as a VM. And OKD runs uh, Kubert and can interact with uh, storage that OKD is managing, more specifically that Rook is managing. So I'll be using Ceph behind that. And I I think I'm really, I'm probably really excited about doing that. It gives me a chance to really uh, rethink how I've architected my lab and because OKD can do, I have, uh, I've seen um, fellow coworkers just use OKD on Intel Nooks with uh, interfaces that are no faster than two and a half gig. And that's really tempting because like, you know, 10 gig hardware is expensive. It's still not down at that decent. It's still at enterprise price points, not yet at prosumer price points. I mean, it's getting there. Like I can get some decent ubiquity equipment for under a thousand bucks, but it's still pretty expensive. Yeah. So looking at it from an architectural perspective and kind of comparing and contrasting these different projects, if you think of Kubernetes as you kind of, choose your own adventure. Kubernetes still allows you to pick from a number of different projects to kind of fill each component, if you will, of your Kubernetes cluster. Then if you move downstream, OKD is is an opinionated Kubernetes environment. So a lot of those choices are made for you. Swapping out components isn't really that easy, but in getting up and running with OKD gets you a container orchestrator very, very quickly. OKD is then for those of you on the enterprise side, OKD is then the upstream for the Red Hat product uh, called OpenShift. So one of the components that has gotten a lot of traction, I mean, over the past, what, probably a year or so, the project has taken off, and that's Kubert. So Kubernetes, OpenShift, OKD, those things people think containers. It's a container orchestrator, so you can just say, I want this container, it should be able to talk to these other technically pods. So I want this pod to be able to talk to these other pods over these ports, and I want it to have access to this storage. And you can just take all of these orders for for pods for different services and just throw it at the orchestrator. And the orchestrator takes all of the hardware that you get that you give it and just 
you know, off off it goes. It does all the work for you. So what Covert does, and, and this is kind of where in, in the VDI episode and and in this episode we've kind of alluded to and and kind of joked about the idea of just taking that same concept and throwing desktops at it. Well, we're we're almost there already because there is a project called Kubevert that basically gives Kubernetes the understanding it needs of virtual machines. So you can basically schedule and set up and configure virtual machines using your container orchestrator. I mean, it seems kind of ridiculous because you think you think hardware, hypervisor, virtual machine, containers, you kind of think of it as a layer cake. And what Kubevert does is it's just throws that all out the window and says, give me everything you want to run and I'll orchestrate it for you. Yeah, Libvert is pretty, overall, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, and and it's just containerized Libvert KVM, just orchestrated by Kubernetes, just like in Over. Over is, it's a Libvert KVM managed by Over plus VDSM and that that's the orchestrator or go into OpenStack context. I, I didn't bring OpenStack into this because it's a, a huge beast. And like, I could talk about OpenStack for hours, but it, in, this, in the case of OpenStack, it's managing KVM via Liver via the Nova interface or any hypervisor. That's the way that's, you know, OpenStack is more or less a hypervisor agnostic. You can use KVM, you can use Zen, you can use VMware, you can use... Uh, think there's a hyper v driver i don't know why you'd want to use that but i believe there is one <laughs> yeah why not but you know while we're on the topic of kubevert i did a lot of research on on kubevert and there's a new kubevert distribution i want to say i don't want to call it a kubernetes distribution like okd because this is purely focused towards virtualization still managed by kubernetes but there's not a container component to this. And this is an open source project put out by SUSE and Rancher uh, called Harvester. And it aims to be a hyper-converged solution, you know, very similar to what Nutanix has done and what v- VMware's done with vSAN. I took a look at this, and it's really interesting. It's in its very early stage, just purely from a technology perspective. I'm like, ah, this is interesting. Like if I just wanted something to run in my home lab, like uh, right now, like something that's lightweight, because it seems like it could be lighter weight than maybe OKD. I don't know for sure. I haven't really tested this yet, but it's uh, lightweight. It seems like uh, it would be a perfect replacement for in my for my home lab use case if I wanted to just stick with pure virtualization, no containerization. What caught my eye with it is it's a, a it's probably the first pure play hyperconverged solution in open source. That's like over is not pure play. It's not a pure play hyperconverged solution. It's two two open source uh, projects coming together. Harvester, yeah, it's Coover in in the in the case of the storage Longhorn, but it's a uh, been developed from the ground up to be managed together. That's the whole point of Harvester. That's what I'm getting from it, and I I think that's a, a, a pretty neat pretty neat solution. If you're still just dead set on using only virtualization, or you want virtualization and then run containerization in those virtual machines, 
if you're dead set on that, I think this is a, a great solution. I, for me personally, I'm all about containers on top of bare metal. I want to get rid of as much overhead as possible between the container workload and the metal. And that's, uh, and taking out the hypervisor, it is uh, the easiest way to do that. So it's, it's funny how your workload needs and mine differ. With working with Red Hat Enterprise Linux on a daily basis, I still need those virtualization layers. But what's interesting, and, and just to kind of tell the teacher on you, you, you snuck this into the show notes before, uh, not long before we started recording, so I haven't had a chance to play with this, but, but Harvester is really intriguing to me from the perspective of hyper-converged and a focus on, on virtualization. So I, I might have to try this out before I finally settle on, on what's going to run on the metal itself. Because what's, what's interesting about, about OKD or Harvester, because uh, there, there's a blog post out there about running OKD on bare metal as a single node. So what, what I'm starting to lean towards for my home lab is running, per, quote, production workloads for the home network in containers on the metal. So they get the advantage of being as close to the metal as possible. They get direct access to storage. So things like Plex, things like Home Assistant. And particularly thinking about the spousal approval factor here is those systems can run in containers and be treated as a production workload. And then things like my Red Hat satellite install or my convert to my convert to rel uh, demo that I run here out of my home lab, things like that, that, that are a little bit more ephemeral things that I spin up and tear down all the time uh, could run in, in virtual machines underneath that. So the containerized workloads don't, don't ever get touched unless I'm patching the host itself. But then I still have the ability from the same system without buying additional hardware to be able to run uh, virtual machines and spin them up and tear them down from the same interface. So I'm, I'm definitely leaning more towards one of these newer... I don't want to say next gen because that's a little it's a little presumptuous, but some of these reimagined hypervisors where it's containers first, virtual machine, but also virtual machines. So I'd definitely, actually, this might be a great for a follow up in a future episode, but might try out OKD and and definitely want to give Harvester a closer look. Uh, it looks like just a couple of months ago they they released zero point two point zero, which is their first their first official beta release. So definitely a lot of activity going on on their GitHub page. So definitely worth a look. Yeah, it's interesting, and I I'm looking forward to seeing like how the development progresses uh, with this. I think it's a an interesting way of just doing virtual machines. So yes, stay tuned. We'll play with that off off the air, and uh, and we'll we'll report back. But we've got one more product on our list, and uh, and to kind of close out the chapter on Eric's epic lab meltdown of 2021, this one I was really bummed about because I was excited to try it. There was one contract job that I was at for three or four months that used Citrix Zen Server as their hypervisor of choice, and so finding finding out that that Citrix project had actually been open sourced and forked to come out with a new project that's got a lot of momentum and a lot of support out in the community is XCPNG. So XCP Next Generation, I believe is what that stands for. It is an easy to use, easy to get started, uh, standalone hypervisor. It's open source, got a huge, I won't say huge, it's got a, gr- a, a very quickly growing community. Uh, but of course, Eric's lab curse continues because Apparently, the XCPNG installer does not have driver support for my motherboard. So 
we talked about building your own server as opposed to buying repurposed enterprise grade equipment. The advantage is you can kind of get all the components, put it together yourself for cheap. So that's what I did for my for my big, uh, I call it ITG1. So IT guy one. Yeah, I know. Really, uh, <laughs> really original naming. But uh, ITG1 has an Asus ROG Strix STRIX B550F motherboard. So it's more of a gaming motherboard. It's, it's more of a consumer board, but it was high end. It let me get to 128 gigs of RAM and uh, works great with my AMD uh, CPU. The only problem is it doesn't seem like XCPNG uh, supports my my Asus motherboard, so <laughs> I couldn't get it installed. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Eric, 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 this is why I do nested virtualization to test this stuff. Well, I tried that before the show, and it nearly broke my workstation. <laughs> but you know, actually, before we talk, you brought up nested virt. Let's talk about what that is. This basically, you know, it's kind of an inception type thing. So run a hypervisor on top of a hypervisor that you can run guests on. So <laughs> it's slow. Don't recommend. Not for production use. Disclaimer, do not use for production, but great for testing it out if for some reason you break your hardware. It's great for testing. It's good to like just, oh, I need a see it, you know, test out this API uh, against like ESXi, something like that. You know, I've done that. I it really, really easy to use. So that's how I've tested a, a lot of this is with nested vert. I'll, I'll do nested vert a lot of times if I'm trying to do walkthroughs or just get a quick video grab of trying to set up a, a virtual machine in a particular hypervisor, something along those lines. Yeah. But definitely not for production use. <laughs> Anyone who's seen the overt video? Uh, that I did for Ask Noah on MindDrip Media. That was all done. That was an overt installation. That was all done on top of nested virtualization on top of a Fedora hypervisor, Fedora KVM hypervisor. So let's talk about XCPNG. So what is it? Like as Eric said, it's essentially the continuation of Zen Server. It's a stand, you can run it standalone and you can manage each hypervisor standalone just like you can do with LiveVirt KVM, or it, for those who are familiar with ESXi, how you can manage ESXi, because you can manage each hypervisor individually if you don't have vCenter on top. So XCPNG, I think, is a great solution for home labs, especially since it's open source, it's free, and it does a lot, just as much of the functions as VMware for home labs, if not more, in terms of, because there's features in here that, that you would otherwise have to pay for with VMware. There's also a full management solution. So think what Overt is to, to KVM or what vCenter is to, to ESXi called Zen Orchestra. Zen Orchestra, I, I have not dove in to see if it is fully open source, but I do remember seeing this a few years ago. And I believe it is, but it allows you to manage Zen Server or XCPNG hypervisors. Mm -hmm. No restrictions. Fantastic. You can do live migration, storage live migration, secure. It's awesome. I, uh, if Overt didn't exist, this is what I'd use. Hands down. It's uh, super easy to get to use. I can't say enough great things about about this uh, solution. And the only downside is, is 
Zen is no longer as prolific. I mean, it was the first hypervisor for Linux, but it's, uh, I think the momentum behind it has slowed, like in terms of Zen, the overall project, not XC PNG, but Zen as a whole, I feel like the ecosystem is not as robust anymore as it used to be. But that's from my narrow point of view. I could be very wrong on that. It doesn't seem as robust as KVM. I mean, Amazon was running on on Zen for many years until they migrated to KVM. I believe Oracle Cloud is still running on Zen, but I could be wrong there. I think they switched to KVM. But I think it's a, a fantastic solution. If you're just getting started with, with virtualization, this is a good one to, to really take a good look at. They do have paid options. Uh, I was really hoping, uh, one of the things I wanted to try out was their hyper-converged offering from the company that backs this, but it's uh, proprietary. The storage solution is proprietary. But all in all, though, I think it's a really good solution other than uh, the storage, is, the hyper-converged storage solution is proprietary. Any final thoughts on, uh, on Zen, Eric? I mean, you, I know you worked on this previously. You mentioned that before. I get is there any closing thoughts there? Yeah. If you're in an environment that is running Zen, even when I worked with it a few years back, Zen, Zen felt sluggish. It felt clunky. It was, it was long in the tooth. The web UI was atrocious to look at. So if, if you're dead set on a Zen uh, solution, definitely look at XEPNG. But I mean, just kind of zooming back out a little bit, this episode created a whole lot more work for me in uh, in my home lab because <laughs> my my search for a, for a new new bare metal operating system just got more complex with with talking about Kuvert and OKD but I hope this was helpful there are a few really solid options there's there's a few more esoteric ones that we didn't really talk about today but for all intents and purposes Livert is definitely the way to go if you're looking to just get started uh, with a small business or or a home lab Livert cockpit you cannot go wrong. And with every release, Cockpit just gets better and better and better. I actually think now it's uh, easier to use and get to most of the functions I use day-to-day for virtualization mm-hmm. than Vert Manager. Like, hands down. Like, Vert Manager is obviously way more complete mm-hmm. in terms of, like, being able to do, like, PCI pass-through, be able to do... Actually, no, I, I was going to say snapshots, but snapshots are now available right there inside a Cockpit. So... Yep. Except for PCI pass-through, don't use Vert Manager, use Cockpit, unless you're dead set on using a full a full GTK uh, application, not a web app. It's Cockpit is by far my go-to for anything running on top of libvert KVM. So last thought, Brandon, what would you recommend if you have a customer who is, or in the case of our listeners, someone who is in the enterprise who is trying desperately to get away from from the VMware, the VMwares of the world, or or the Hyper Vs or the Zen. So we we kind of talked about home labs, small to medium sized business. But if you're talking a large enterprise, someone who's desperately trying to get away from these proprietary solutions, what would be your your absolute top pick? So if you're on Zen, go to XCPNG. The continued development of it, I think. It's rock solid. You know, Zen is a a good performing hypervisor. Mm -hmm. Now, if you want to do something more modern, you want something that you know is going to be around for years because I would go with a Kubernetes-based 
management solution, I'd go OKD or OpenShift. And I'm not just saying that being a red hatter, <laughs> that it, I do see that as the uh, future of data center infrastructure. And see, my, my answer just changed. I was thinking I'd send folks to over, but in, in doing research leading up to this episode, I, I'm really, really interested in, in OKD and, and, uh, and as a result, OpenShift. So we'll, we'll play around with, uh, with some of these things and, and we'll, we'll report back. Now, I'm sure someone will say, why don't you recommend Harvester? Because yeah, I did say, I think, it's, I think it's a very interesting solution. It's just too new. Yeah, yeah. It's not even in the 1.0. Like from an enterprise perspective, I would not recommend. But from a home lab perspective... Oh, I'm definitely going to play with it. <laughs> I think it's going to get installed. Actually, it is installed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, stay tuned, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. Don't forget to check out all of our brand new swag. Head on over to sudo.show slash swag to get t-shirts, mugs, and hats. As always, your feedback is welcome. Head on over to sudo.show slash discuss. If you would like more Brandon and I, you can find it over at sudo.show and on social media at sudoshowpodcast. You can catch more awesome content over at our network partners, destinationlinux.network. Brandon, anywhere else you'd like to send folks? You can follow me on Twitter at dbrandonjohnson or my website at open-tech.net. And you can follow me at ITGuyEric or on ITGuyEric.com. Remember, the Pseudo Show is your place for all things enterprise open source. Until next time.